0: Thanks for tuning in today to the Big Blue Podcast. I'm your host Vic Moore, and let's get into today's interview. Today on the Big Blue Podcast, we have a special guest, graduate Stacy Lincoln. And Stacy, do you want to go by that name?
1: No, I go by Dagenhart. Stacy,
0: pronounce Dagen- that. Dagenhart. Pronounce it again for us.
1: Dagenhart.
0: Dagenhart. Okay, good. Dagenhart. And what is that? Ger- it sounds German.
1: German and Dutch.
0: All right. So we knew you back in the day of a different name, but now, of course, things change. And in 40 years, my goodness, a lot of stuff has probably changed in your life. So tell us a little bit about what you're up to now, present day, then we'll go back in time a little bit.
1: Uh, Present day, I'm a paralegal at the law firm of Butler, Vines and Bab. Uh, I have been there six years. I'm a a senior paralegal to senior partner, Jimmy Wright. And I'm also the vice president of the board of directors for James White Sport, a nonprofit organization, which is the original city of Knoxville. And I do fundraising events, trying to get monies and stuff and memberships so that we can preserve the original city of Knoxville and all their structures.
0: Oh, that's cool. Now you got a lot to talk about here. Yeah, I'm not
1: like I'm, Scott McBride.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Scotts was a hilarious edit. I had more fun editing him than anyone else so far. But you know, there's a lot of moving parts in your story. It sounds like James White Ford. I, you know, that's right there on the corner of. Is it near the Henley Street Bridge? The, the remnant there.
1: Um. Yeah. No. It's across the street from the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. What's on the Henley? Right across from the Henley Street Bridge. I think you're thinking of Blunt Mansion.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. There's a lot of which historical... is the,
1: the uh, Governor William Blunt's first home.
0: Okay, yeah, right, right. William Blunt and his wife was Murray, of course, because when everybody says Murrayville, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, but right. that's from living in Ohio for 18 years. I, <laughs> I'm getting my southern accent back, but I've still got a lot of nuances where people go, you, do you, you oh, sound like right. a northerner. Well, live there 18 years.
0: <laughs> that's cool. And then we're going to talk about Ohio, too. We're going to find out how we get up to Ohio from Farragut. Um, so that's interesting. Paralegal, um, what do you do there on a day to day basis?
1: I review medical records, summarize them. I do trial prep. I go to trial. I do accident investigations. I do most of mine is medical related. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to go in and find out pre existing injuries, what's going on with the person. Uh, I do both plaintiff and defense. So when you're doing defense work, you have to uh, dig up dirt, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, to prove that they're not injured uh, to the extent that they're trying to say that they are and
0: right right do and-
1: mediations and things of that nature. Um, I'm basically the uh, attorney's right right hand person,
0: right yeah, well let me ask you this in general, do most people try to fake it or are they on the up and up with the medical?
1: It's both. Okay. I mean, it really is. You get some really honest people who have been hurt, and then you get those, and you start looking at their records, and you're like, he's just looking for an easy payday. (laughs) You know, and then you get surveillance on them, and you Mm. see they were at the gym working out, but oh, they've got a bad back. Oh, yeah. Or they're lifting or doing, you know, they're always doing something they're not supposed to be doing or or they cannot do, but they manage to do it, Mm. uh, but they don't know you're filming them. Right, right like one lady uh got hurt in Walmart and she said she was a pool shark and uh she did tournaments and everything else and she couldn't shoot anymore and we had an investigator go out several times and film her and she was stretched across doing a one shot to a far pocket <laughs> stretched across pit pool table. Will, oh, but I don't do that and I can't drink and her and then picks up a beer after her shots.
0: So. Will Will Amina Moscone there? Uh <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's cool. Very interesting. So you get, you, you have to be on your toes and you have to vet a lot of information and you're real Mm -hmm. busy as of late. That's cool. Um, and I want to talk more about James White Fort too. uh, your, your work that you're doing there to help fund it. And maybe we can put a link or two in the notes to help people who are interested in, in your endeavor to donate. Uh, we'll do that.
1: That would be wonderful.
0: Yeah. Um, I did that for Scott. I got a merch store link for him and I'm going to start doing that for other people as well. Um, All right, well, cool. Now let's do this. Let's go back in our Wayback Machine. Mr. Peabody um the year is 1982 stacy it's june the second yeah. we just threw our hats up we passed our marbles on and they're, they're all over the stage you're graduated what's going through your mind right now have you got something planned out what are you gonna do now post high school
1: i gotta go to work i gotta go work at the world's fair and i'm at a party and i'm hung over as hell the next day that's exactly what was <laughs> on my mind
0: <laughs> yeah, well so was i i was on the souvenir shop there under the sun sphere m4 east oh, okay. door vic moore hello can i help you where were you working Chinese Pavilion. Oh, the Chinese Pavilion. Oh, yeah, I remember mm-hmm. that. That's yeah. Cool, they had a piece of the wall there, didn't they?
1: Yeah, and it was way at the other end. It was over there towards uh, you know where Nailing Drive. It was at the far end of the of the mm-hmm. fair site. So yeah, it was.
0: That's,
1: but it was really interesting. You learned a lot.
0: Oh, of course, of course. It was it was fun time. It looked, the fireworks time was the greatest for us because that meant no customers in the store. We can kind of stock and straighten.
1: But i yeah. used to ride around in that you know that little thing at night and at height you would <laughs> wear like this helmet and it would play crazy music and people would wave it looked like a spaceship going throughout the fair <laughs>
0: yeah yeah i remember that
1: I, I used to ride in that with the driver a lot
0: that's cool so yeah you see fun. all over the, the the park and for those people who are tuning into this and going what the heck is the world's fair what are they talking about a night a real brief history 1982 knoxville was selected to do an energy exposition slash World's Fair. And it was all over downtown, revitalized downtown. A lot of buildings were built. And some of those are still there today. And countries from all over the world, people from all over the world, came and celebrated that particular World's Fair in that year. And the next year, I think it went to New Orleans. But um, that's cool. So, yeah. And we, if you remember our annual, the Farragut Admiral annual for 1982, we did the photo shoot on the, the campus while it was still being constructed.
1: Yeah, I think I do remember about something about that because weren't you you worked for the crow's nest or something, didn't you? Well, I
0: I they were always taking pictures of me, but I didn't work at it. um. But I did the class clown and president thing, and those photos are all over. Um, Gwen Gray was with me on the site there. We were in some kind of tubular steel thing that was going somewhere. I may mean, have been the Chinese. I know
1: thing. what you're talking about. Okay, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Now that it's the ones who got like. You all were class clown, and then you know, like Denise Miller and Mike Stone, they were the um, athletes, right? And that yeah, kind yeah. Of thing. Most yeah.
0: this and most that, and uh, most likely to do this or that. Yeah, yeah. Those those photos, but also when you open up the annual, just the first cover inside, it was a big layout of the model of the World's Fair.
1: I remember. I remember that. My I've got my annual. Uh, it's somewhere around here. <laughs> Okay, Bad so idea. I have seen mine.
0: All right, let's get back on on track here. So you are working at the Chinese Pavilion. Uh, of course, that job's going to be ending. Mine did too. Uh, by what was it, October the first or thirty first? I
1: don't know. I quit before then because they oh were working God. you like you were in a sweatshirt factory, and <laughs> that's not on girlfriend's <laughs> list of fun. I, I ain't doing it, so I quit. Uh, that, I just partied like, there after like, that.
0: Woo none of that. Woo none of that
1: um (laughs) no pun intended
0: yeah no pun intended okay so cool then you you okay you're through with that now what's on the horizon what are you gonna do now oh
1: god what did i do i mean i went to college for the first year but i was studying what was your study medicine pre-med but Mm -hmm. i was one of those people who went and partied a lot and didn't learn much and ended up dropping out at that point I didn't go back to college until I turned 50 when I went back and got my degree.
0: Oh, cool. I did that as a late studier as well.
1: I just, I liked having money working part-time. And so I was, you know, just running around. I was, I'm a social butterfly. I admit it. And so I just started working and that's, I liked having money and I was living with Christine who is a class of 83. And I decided, you know, I liked living out on my own more than going to school. And so that's what I did for a long time.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So you, you, you did your own thing, so to speak. And did that involve many different jobs, many different hats?
1: Um, A couple. One of them is I started out as a receptionist in a law firm, like in 84. Mm -hmm. And then I. I kept moving up and moving up, and then I took a break from it because I'd gotten a job out at Martin Marietta at K25, and I worked as an analytical chemist in the laboratory um, until 94 when it closed.
0: What were you analyzing? And, what chemicals were you analyzing?
1: Um, I could cut your shirt up and tell you if you were exposed to any radionuclides, americium, strontium, plutonium, alpha, beta, gamma, that kind of thing, and hmm. tested ground samples and things of that nature. You leach it out we, and put it on these machines and do hmm. the different uh, chemicals, and you can tell if, if there was any exposure to whatever you had done the reagents for.
0: So that was like for security of the employees, I'm thinking, right?
1: it was we you know you get contracts from different places um like because there are plants in paducah kentucky portsmouth ohio rocky flats which is hotter than hades in regards to radioactivity you've got los alamos i mean those kind of environmental um hot spots for radiation are all over the place and you get samples in from these different places and uh you are testing for them and we also were doing some u-33 cleanup because as you know they weren't making the atomic bomb anymore
0: Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah my my dad was involved in a little bit of that after the war was over they switched over to fusion reaction versus fission and he actually got injured trying to uh save a giant part on that so yeah y-12 k-25
1: and the only ones that are still up are x ten and y twelve they closed uh closed k twenty five down back in ninety four right um right after I left, I knew they were going to close it down and uh they closed that down and did everything they possibly could to try to clean up you know the radioactivity. but
0: mm-hmm. knowing
1: what I'd do, you could dig up the dirt and it'd probably be so hot it would it would have so many dpms of radiation it would blow your mind.
0: Yeah. Well, my dad had this little badge thing he always had when he came home, and it's supposed to detect stuff if they get near it. Yeah, it's it blue. Never... It's
1: called a dosimeter, and we had yeah. to have them changed out every three months. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then they gave some... you a reading of how much actual radiation you were exposed to.
0: Okay. Was it? I you mean, couldn't it,
1: have more than five.
0: There was no visible indication on that badge, right? You had to have it analyzed, like what you did.
1: Yeah. Well, no, that was done. Di- that was a different, a different type of a- a- analysis, and there was a company that came in and did that. Those little plastic boxes that had the foil over the window They we would take them off our badges, put a new one on and they'd send them out. And I don't, I don't know where they went, sent them to. We would just get the reports back. Um, everybody got their own report showing what they had been exposed to.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's good. So that's, that's something very helpful. You're helping other places around the nation that may have, they think may have some tainting or something going on. And, and uh, so you're trying to secure or, or let people know, yay or nay how bad it is, and then that sample would be given back to, like, corporations or other federal agencies?
1: It just depends. I mean, because people were sending stuff there from all over. I have to be careful what I say.
0: Right, and I don't want you to say anything that might get you in trouble. Like, when I interviewed Uh Bill Perry, I had to start cutting out some stuff, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Because doesn't Bill work for the government?
0: Well, he he works for... uh, a chemical laboratory that is involved in making um, virus and vaccine things, and he works with okay. animals. Yeah, directly. You got to go back and listen. It's a fascinating um, study that what he's into. Um, he worked for Johnson and Johnson. I can say that much.
1: Um, oh, he was smart. I oh, remember yeah. him. Well, he, he, he a had good. a
0: personal family issue that that thrusted him into the interest of all this genetic stuff. And which a lot of times our lives do that, you know, what your experience early on will kind of chart your future.
1: I just, I did it. um, I did it because uh, you could, it was easy to get in there and you could make really good money. And Mm -hmm. that's why I did it. And when I left, um, I went back into law. I've been doing that since 84. So I went back into it right after I left there. And I'm really glad I only did three years because I know people who have had adverse effects. They've had internal problems. They've had body parts having to be removed. Like I'm talking organs and stuff, especially females. Mm -hmm. Um, it's got all the samples and the exposures and things of that nature to people who will work there five, 10 years or more. Mm -hmm. They're having a lot of adverse reactions. And there's a program through, uh, the government that they're getting monies. Because of it, so
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I'm I'm glad I got out when I did.
0: Yeah, kind of like 9/11 and the fallout from all mm-hmm. that, you know, reparations. Yeah, it's
1: kind it, that's kind of what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't know, especially starting to do that stuff many years ago, and then all of a sudden people are getting cancer. I, mm-hmm. A perfect example right now, um and I can't say too much. All I can tell you is that coal ash spill. Mm-hmm. There are more lawsuits because of cancers. Mm-hmm. Over there, you can shake the Herman
0: one, right? Over there Herman. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's oh, a
1: perfect example. No because about Watts that. Bar and Sequoia are nuclear plants. Mm-hmm.
0: And what the coal ash though was on site at the plant plant per se, but but how it wasn't really connected to outside entities, was it? They did all their own coal manufacturing.
1: And when they had that spill, the, when that that mass amount, uh, I think it was in 2008, that huge massive spill. Mm-hmm moved houses it was so bad and things of that nature mm-hmm. people got really really sick people died from it because I mean the fish were dying and everything yeah, yeah. that's that was to- that was all toxins
0: so it went in the river system and went everywhere not just in here
1: Okay, and there are tons of lawsuits going on right now, class action lawsuits over that coal coal
0: ash spill. I tell you, it you know, industry corporations these days they're making money hand over fist. They're harming people hand over fist, and it seems like they can afford to deal with their disasters. They make so much money. Well, I saw a video of the spill letting loose when it happened on our local television. I was in Knoxville at the time. And I think it has something to do with a with a reservoir that wasn't uh, quite up to snuff, and it just burst through like a dam.
1: And that's a distinct yeah. possibility. I mean, yeah. these things—if you're, you know, some of these cisterns and stuff that they're buried—I mean, because I know there were some out at K twenty five. Some of them. That are buried by now, you know, if they're not in concrete, which is the only way that you can keep that stuff from getting out, you know, as we both know, to take a a barrel, a burn barrel you put in the back of your yard. Over time, it's going to rust and get holes in it.
0: Mm. Same
1: principle with some of these pipes that are underneath the ground, because back then when they were put there, they did not have the wherewithal or the knowledge of what would happen over time how the environment breaks them down and then you get the leaks get too many holes and boom it can bust and i mean it's just it's it's sad for all the people who got uh, hurt by it but um i really i don't the only thing i know is the end result what i saw with the uh, coal ash but it's the same principle
0: Okay, now you're you're working in that area. You found your niche. It looks like the law profession is something you really enjoyed. And mm-hmm. then what were you doing at that time? I and mean, give us a kind of a year.
1: God, I moved to Ohio in 94, 95, January of ninety five. Okay. So I was, you know, I, I was gone for eighteen years, and I actually moved back the night before our thirtieth. I was working in law up north
0: the entire time. All right. Let me ask you this: How in the world did you jump from Farragut? area to Ohio, and what city did you land in?
1: Um, A friend of mine uh, that I had met, I had done a stint working at the University of Tennessee Athletic Department Mm -hmm. as a temp, uh, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And she and I became really good friends and, um, she moved back to Ohio Well, she started doing work down and I was, I was gone into law. I was back working and she'd gone down to Atlanta. She moved to Atlanta and she was coming through here and said, Hey, come to Ohio with me. I'm tired of making the drive by myself to see my family. Cause that's where she was from. And I made a trip up there with her and met a man and the rest is history on how I got moved up there.
0: Okay, there you go so you started a new life, a new relationship. Um,
1: yeah I did and he and I didn't work out and uh, I was working at a very large firm and was working for an attorney who'd gone through a divorce and started dating my boss
0: Oh, wow! Okay. and ended
1: up marrying him
0: <laughs> what what uh, can you talk about what job that was were, were your boss uh-huh. was I was
1: a I was a pair, I was lead team leader paralegal for uh-huh. a huge firm in Dayton, Ohio.
0: What, what did they think about you, a Southern uh, gal? They loved
1: up? it. They made me talk all the time.
0: <laughs> There's just something about our voices in the South that are so pleasing and different, you know.
1: I would say stuff like, oh, one day my boss came out and there happened to be a bunch of the partners standing around. And my boss wanted something. I'm turning around looking at some man. I said, I can't find that file. And they went, what? And oh my God, that I heard about that. I can't find a file. Oh, if I heard that once, I heard it a million times. So I was like, oh,
0: my God. That was the new uh, hot-button phrase around the firm to say, you know.
1: And to say it with a Southern trying, I can't find that file."
0: And did it translate to other things like, I can't find my phone?
1: It, it was anything. Or they'd just sit there and talk to me just so i talked talk Southern. <laughs> and it was like, then, you know, by the end of it, I come home, and everybody says, God, you don't sound like you're from here. And I'm like, I've been gone 18 years. What do you expect? <laughs>
0: Give me a break here i got a new language
1: that's whatever. it that no we it's normal for us for them up there as it's a different language and they do they love southerners to talk to
0: them <laughs> oh that's great yeah okay, i actually
1: so. worked for a firm up there and was in there and one of the attorneys was from here and he graduated from Bearden in 1984 oh, wow. and he went to law school up at the University of Dayton, which is a Catholic law school
0: that
1: uh-huh. he worked in my firm, but he was in the band at Bearden and graduated in 84.
0: Oh, a well, small world, you know, here you are. Try to, try to get, try to escape that bulldog area and here it comes with you.
1: I know. <laughs> <laughs> He's still up there. Not me. I came back home.
0: Okay, so let me ask you this: It looks like you, for eighteen years, I, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't just stay with one firm that you that you maybe you found some other places to work there.
1: I had to because I married an attorney, and mm-hmm. so. If they didn't do nepotism. They wanted all, oh, because there was a lot of single people. They wanted everybody to date the single girls. But when they got mm-hmm. married to them, we all had to quit. There was like yeah. four of us when I was up there that mm-hmm. ended up having to quit because we had married one of the attorneys. Why, why um, is? I
0: mean, I think I know the answer to this, but for the listener's sake, why is that an issue? Nepotism in in the attorney world
1: because they don't want uh be favoritism flat yeah. out. Um, one of the th- comments was made by my boss went to one of the heads of the uh the woman who was over everybody because we had like 200 employees and said see I don't feel like I can tell her what to do because she's an attorney's wife. Mm-hmm. And so since um the managing partner was in my wedding um he said you're going to have to find something else and so you know, at the time, Casey and I were like, OK, and I couldn't find a job because I was a conflict of interest everywhere. So I ended up working in Cincinnati.
0: Mm. So it's a completely different city.
1: Had to. Mm-hmm. I drove to Cincy every day.
0: Now, is that a jurisdictional by default solving of the problem or like, for example, if you took your relationship with you across to another city, you're in the same boat again, right?
1: No, because we he was plaintiff's work and because there was a huge conglomerate firm just like what he worked for. Mm-hmm down in cincinnati they weren't using that firm so therefore i was never a conflict
0: okay i see so it's because
1: it's a yeah. whole different city you know cincinnati's a major metropolitan city and so mm-hmm. you've got a whole different world with so many different attorneys and so many different firms that have zero to do with anybody up in dayton ohio
0: right okay i get that now, that's why so I'm that like,
1: that eliminated the conflict
0: so on some of the tv law shows you know they'll say, well, we have to move this out of this area to get a fair trial. So you're severing ties from anybody that know both parties in the in the case, and they get like fresh jury peers, you know, and that's why they do that, right?
1: Yeah, a lot of times, mm-hmm. but a lot, usually it's because it's media and the media has got a hold of it, blown it out of proportion. And everybody that's a prospective jury has read the paper, watched the news, mm-hmm. and has got a slanted view. They don't, you need somebody who doesn't know Jack squat about right. anything
0: and that's harder to do today with social media is it not
1: exactly you can't it's it is damn near impossible oj simpson would not have a snowball's chance in hell.
0: yeah yeah there's too many uh uh phone witnesses you know forget the eyewitnesses you know you got these yeah people everywhere.
1: just i i found i w- there was a wreck on the interstate and i get to work you know i called and i said hey i'll be there when i get there um but i it was right in front of me so went across three lanes of traffic stopped my car got out went to help this girl and next thing i know i was on uh, a video clip from somebody's <laughs> phone was on the internet and i had no idea
0: oh yeah
1: yeah yeah we were uh praying with the girl that was that had uh me and this other lady who stopped. Mm-hmm. And we were just sitting there um, praying with a girl who had wrecked.
0: Yeah, I worked in the behavioral services field for many years and studied that uh, even longer. Um, And it looks to me like what we have going on here are a bunch of people who now say, I don't want to get involved because they're going to be filmed. They don't want to be filmed helping somebody, even if it helps that person, you know, anonymously or whatever. It's not anonymous anymore. You can't be a Good Samaritan because you're on the Good Samaritan TV network now. You know the good samaritan yeah, facebook and page by
1: the time i got to work the girl goes hey uh, the, one, the one of the girls i work with she goes yeah you're on the internet uh, rick which was her husband she goes Rick said his buddy that he works with uh, saw you out in the middle of the interstate and they were filming. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I said it wasn't good. She rolled her, flipped her car in the air mm-hmm. three times. Oh, so I said, wow. you know, it's, that's not something that people want filmed, but you know, whoever mm-hmm. did it, go team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. But I, you know, people do that. They just will stop and it can be helpful and it can be hurtful. Mm-hmm. You just never know.
0: So, how many would you say different uh, law firms did you employ at in your eighteen years there in uh, in Ohio? In Ohio, yeah. uh, three. Okay, three. And yeah,
1: one, two uh, firms, and then I started working with um, a friend of ours because uh, my husband at the time he was prosecutor, so for a long time, so he knew. Everybody. So yeah. It was when um it was we got to a point where I just I didn't do as much paralegal. I was doing um billing and things like that and reviewing medical records. I did, you know, and that Mm -hmm. wasn't so much a conflict of interest as getting into litigation. So,
0: right. right. Did you ever ever have any desire designs to be like, you know, Matlock on TV, you know, the, the, the the, the attorney right there, just rattling out everything and saving the day. Or
1: I literally, I I thought about going to law school and every time I would talk to somebody about it, they're like, don't (laughs) because both, both all the cities that I lived in, You know, associated with Dayton, there was a law school, Mm -hmm. Cincinnati, there are two law schools. So anywhere I was, the market is completely saturated and kids were coming out with not they didn't have the ability to get jobs or if Mm -hmm. they did, they didn't pay squat. Yeah, yeah.
0: A juris doctor degree is it? Is it like a th- three-year program? Two-year program?
1: Um, it's three. If you re- want to, you can get it done in two and a half by going year-round. It just it just depends on the school. Some let you, and some do not.
0: You have to pass the bar. That's the main thing, right? You know. Every- uh huh. And yeah has, it, it, has, has the bar gone like virtual now with COVID? A lot of places no. going on, on virtual.
1: No, they just make the room smaller and it's harder to get tests. Um, I have a friend who ran into the same, trying to get test out for her pharmacy boards because she was a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. And um, it took almost a year to be able to take it because everybody was filling those COVID slots, so, wow. those slots up so fast wow. because you have to go somewhere to take that kind of stuff.
0: Well, in Tennessee now, the governor um, this last year made it easier for um, licensed professional counselors who are done with their uh, schoolwork to have their hours supervised still. But it's all virtual. It's done through camera and, um, you know, electronic uh, patients. And I think that's really cool. That makes it a lot easier for people to get that done. But, you know, that's not legal and it's not, you know, I guess it's easier. You
1: know, we can, you know, for testing, it's not, it's not something that's even available, but, you know, like depositions and hearings and uh, things of that nature. There's a lot of them are still being done by Zoom because a lot of the courts, especially where they've got high numbers, they're not, they're still not open. They, you know, you can, you have to do everything virtual Mm -hmm. and trials it's really hard to get a trial right now a lot of them aren't even setting them.
0: Yeah. I noticed that. Yeah. Especially since the COVID thing started. Um, and then there was a reprieve. I think some people started coming back to live events and now back out again with this resurgent yes. strain. Um, so yeah, it's a strain. All right. Strain on everybody.
1: Uh. It is. <laughs> and it makes it in the legal world, it makes it hard because if you're dealing with an insurance company and trying to settle something, the insurance companies don't care, and they'll bat it around because they know you can't get a trial date, so they have no hurry.
0: And how does that work to their advantage or, or not?
1: Sometimes it's one of those things where the longer you let it sit, you don't get anything, and they just it, mm-hmm. um, the attorneys can't bill high for it. Or you know, if it's a plaintiff, they you know, it's just they're not negotiations are hard to do. A good person to talk to if you if you haven't done him or get him to is uh, Ford Little.
0: Oh, yeah, because he's. Get Ford on the. Yeah.
1: Ford is um, a good, very good attorney. And, uh, you know, he could tell you how frustrating it is. He's got more firsthand with that mess than I do.
0: Mm -hmm. Would you contact him and tell him to contact me? And I'll give you my personal. Well, you got my um, messenger number. Have him contact me. I want to interview him for sure. Um, yeah i can and having someone like you someone you know him a little bit better you know in the field certainly to nudge he might respond better
1: (laughs) yeah i've talked i see a lot of people from high school it blows my mind somebody Um, i'm in touch with who uh is hilarious and she and i she she's actually staying with me for the reunion just she and i are going Oh my God, she's hilarious. I love her. We have we have stayed in touch. We are close friends. I mean, I love
0: her. Old friends having current fun, you know, talk about the old days. That's one of the reasons to do this podcast is some people can't meet other people, but they can tune in and it's, you know, free to listen. So let's get back on your story. All right. So you're you're sure. in Ohio, you're doing what you like, probably a lot of cool, groovy skills. Um, uh,
1: basically my, my, skills are, I review medical records, I scrutinize them, I write summaries on them. I read x-rays, things of that, I, you know, I'm doing, I do a lot of medical mm-hmm. and I do, uh, work sometimes with, you know, with act like we had somebody get killed in the car. So I go out and I have to film other the plaintiffs' attorneys in there, and I mean, then you got to film removing stuff, and so you're crawling around in a cab of a truck that's laden with blood and crap, and it's Mm -hmm. that kind. I like doing that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm a mixed bag of tricks on that.
0: All right. Well, let me ask you. You said it was it was it was kind of staged to give you practice, or was it a real accident?
1: No, it was a real accident. I was out in a damn junkyard in 95 degree heat in the middle of the summer. For four or five hours, two days in a row. Oh
0: my God. Climbing how? around
1: in cab, the cab, walking around. I mean, it was. How, how did
0: the truck end up in it the loses. junkyard like that with an accident? Because
1: it was driving down the interstate. It was an accident. It was oh. an 18 wheeler driving down the interstate, and the individual had, must have, uh, well, he had a medical emergency mm-hmm. and went off the road and slammed into a tree and it peeled the cab mm-hmm. back and killed him instantly. Oh.
0: So what was the litigation process there? Who was suing who?
1: The wife suing the company.
0: Okay. Is that usually what happens in these tragic accidents? It's the family then that says, okay, usually we're taking them to court.
1: Yep. Yeah. Usually. Because they've lost a loved one.
0: And it it, Sure is. It, and now you're saying it takes years to get some of these settled. Which oh, my God. Even you have no
1: idea. I've got one right now that's going on four years. mm Just depends on the depth and where people are at, and now with the courts being what they are, it takes even longer.
0: The delays um, don't help anybody. It it, does it delay to a certain point where this uh, what's it called the statute of limitations runs out on the case?
1: No statute gets dealt with within the first year because the state of Tennessee on a medical malpractice and on personal injury, you have to file within the first year of the date of the accident. So they'll file their case, but it just sits stagnant or. Things hold it up, and it keeps getting bumped and bumped and bumped. Mm-hmm. But you, people, you get your case filed within the first year, so you don't have to worry about that statute.
0: Okay, all right. So it just it's just going to be a long delay, but it's still valid. It's a valid case.
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay. Well, that is frustrating because then you stack up a bunch of those, and now all of a sudden, you could have a landslide of activity one day in the future when things change socially. You know, with this virus
1: possibly Mm -hmm. yeah it just all depends or sometimes people are worn out and say let's just settle this we're over it you know you just don't Mm -hmm. know it's very unpredictable
0: i can see a lot of that happening just be done with it um all right so in ohio then you were working there and you said it was 18 years anything else that happened in that period we haven't discussed yet before you came Um, back to this area
1: i worked off and on um my uh because my husband was the uh his best friends, he was from there. Um and we were very close with his best friends from high school. I um, you know, we had interactions and stuff, but uh, I worked some. I'd I'd work and then I'd um took care of our autistic godson for two and a half years and so I didn't work and I really didn't have to work that much. So mm-hmm. I worked off and on. I'd Come work part time. I like when I went back to work full time here in Knoxville, that's the first time I'd been working full time in two thousand and five. Tell me about your
0: godson. what was what was um what was that involvement like?
1: Oh, he's absolutely wonderful. He's gonna be eighteen in February and uh and he's my heart. He comes and stays with us, uh, mm-hmm. with me. And he um, he actually uh, is very good at music. And he's in a huge band, <laughs> a Centerville Jazz Band, which is over 200 kids. And they're marching in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. So I'm headed to New York City to watch oh, him.
0: Cool. Oh, so the parade is on then? Yes, very much so.
1: They're taking my money and everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they better be
0: on. Well, that's great. What an instrument is he really good at? Baritone horn. So he's got a good ear for the tunes.
1: He does. Um, he's like, he just, he's one of the examples. Like, you know, not all autistic children, you can, put, you need to shove them in the corner. You just mm-hmm. keep getting them the help and the love and the support and just got to give them a chance because you never know what's in there.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, like Thomas Saz, a great uh, psychological leader for years. I believe what he says, and it's everybody has something going on. I mean, we're all in the same boat, really. We just have a Mm -hmm. different way of coping with it, dealing with it. And I really think, you know, with all my study and training, there really is no such thing as a mental illness. We're just mental people. And we have things that we do.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But the experience was wonderful. Uh, You know, the first two and a half years, I didn't work. His mom was a single mom and his grandparents owned businesses. And and I had the ability to, so I stayed home and cared for him while his mom worked, and it was, it was great. It was a great experience. I wouldn't trade it for the world, and even though I've been down here uh, almost 10, it'll be 10 years in July, uh, I'm still very much in touch and see him all the time, and, you know, it's just, it's a, autistic children are just, they're just different. And I wouldn't trade my time for that, for the world, for Mm -hmm. all the money in the world, you know, of working. I was so glad I had the ability to not have to work and able to take care of him. And it was wonderful. And he's a wonderful kid.
0: Did you hear about Elon Musk, who came out publicly saying that he has an an autism disorder?
1: No, I did not.
0: He's the person with the SpaceX program and the Tesla car. Yeah, he hosted Saturday Night Live. Not long ago, and mentioned it to the world that he has autism.
1: Have you ever seen the um, the movie um, Beautiful Mind?
0: Yes, John Nash, uh, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I mean, look at him. But there, you know, you just you never know,
0: right? You right. just
1: you never know. And some of the most brilliant minds do have uh, issues that they deal with, and yeah. because they're they're uh, because autism is um, it's such a broad spectrum. And it has so many different angles. Some of them can not, you know, you can't pull them out of that shell. And some of them, you know, it's like you find their niche. Um, my godson, uh, he is very good with computers, yeah. you know, and he loves music, so that's his niche, mm. you know, they, they have them, but some people just throw up their hands cause they don't know what to do. And if you just, some of the most beautiful and brilliant minds come from handicapped situations mm-hmm.
0: yeah i mean a lot of people don't understand you're absolutely right especially in the west uh because a big pharma it takes over and says this is the way you need to treat somebody and they don't really have an alternative but in the east somebody who might be called bipolar here would be like a shaman over there if you just put them in the right environment figure them out
1: Yeah. I mean, like, look at Ernie Els. He's a professional golfer. His son is autistic and he knew in South Africa, they did not have the means and the training to get his son where, and to Mm -hmm. get his son to where he could be more than just a kid and a number. And that's why he moved to the United States because his son is autistic and he wanted him to get the best of care that he could. Mm
0: -hmm. I, I recommend listening to this documentary called crazy wise, one word, crazy wise, and specifically, Gabor Mate, G-A-B-O-R-M-A-T-E. He speaks to the fact that we're all in this together and we have shared um, biological, physical differences. And it's the same on the inside. And, you know, it, it really speaks to why would you, you know, the the stigma and, and pointing at people and going, oh, stay away from them. You might catch it. Really, we're all in this together. It's just you know amazing. And I've learned that over the years. All
1: right, well, good. People Um, are ignorant when they say things like that. When you don't know, mm -hmm. it's better to shut up and color than say something stupid.
0: Right, right. That's
1: just my thought. And
0: (laughs) and ignorance is an easy remedy. It's called education. And they just need to be in the right environment to learn and, and understand new ways of thinking. And that's all we need to do. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I admire and honor you for helping along your godson, giving him that. Uh, Thank un, you. What is it? The unconditional positive regard that Carl Rogers says in his great therapeutic mind. You know, being with the person congruently, overlooking anything that someone else might point at, and you're just there with that soul and you're supporting them on their level. And I'm sure you've done that over and over with him. Oh, um, yeah. So that's
1: great. And he would just, you know, he's just, he's come so far. And, you know, what's so funny is I remember, you know, picking him up off the ground and now he's 6'3". <laughs>
0: <laughs> now he could pick you up off the ground when you fall. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm
1: too fat. Um, <laughs> I'd break his back.
0: Now, is he still now, how, is he in the Ohio area or is he... In, in Tennessee. No, he's in Ohio. Oh, okay. yeah, he's First,
1: up there. Uh, we just uh, I, we just stay in touch, mm-hmm. and I go up every chance I get. I've been up there four times this summer,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: went uh, spring break, went to Florida on his spring break with their entire family. So, oh no, we mm-hmm. stay in touch, and then we're uh, going to New York City together, and they want me to go on a cruise for his 18th. But mm-hmm. I'm going to hammerhead shark diving. So,
0: Oh wow, I
1: got to pick. <laughs> I'm an avid scuba
0: diver. Oh, cool. And how, how far down are you rated to? Uh,
1: 150, and I'm working on my master diver. I've got one more fort I've got a wreck test out that I've got to do, and then I can get my
0: master. That is awesome. I'll have
1: my master diver.
0: That is great stuff. Now, i got to ask you, is it true? Can you punch a shark in the nose, and it'll go away?
1: I've not had to do that. I've had them around me and everything. Um but, uh, I've, uh, had bull sharks. I've had them right there. I've had one where I'm on a tagline trying to get in a boat. And if I'd have tipped my fin down, I already had them off and in my hands, I could have hit his dorsal fin. So I didn't test that mess.
0: Um, but, why did but he, I know why that, did he want to use you for lunch. What were you doing differently? What's the myth here?
1: Uh, they were going back down cause they were dig- looking for lunch. Cause when we us when we descended they swam there was five of them and they were looking for a stingray.
0: Uh-huh.
1: and so they and what was funny is when we started coming down they see the bubbles and they went away from the wreck and then when they're gone all of a sudden the sand starts coming up and all the stingrays go and swim off mm-hmm. and then when we're going back up the tagline you can see the bubbles ascending they started coming back towards the ship to the wreck
0: so let me ask you this. Was your saving grace the fact that you don't look at all or swim like a stingray and they've had stingrays before and they know what they taste like and you're just not that interested?
1: <laughs> no, I think they probably have had something to eat and weren't interested. There was a bunch of, you know, I mean, there was, I was with a boat full. There was like 16 of us that were in the water. They just, yeah. If they're hungry, they're aggressive. Um I don't try to test it. I see nurse and reef sharks all the time. They're no big deal. They're mm-hmm. vegetarians and they just lay on the bottom half the time. <laughs> um and um supposed to go to Bimini in January hammerhead shark diving because that's their migratory. Uh Bimini, time. Uh, where's that at? Bimini, it's um directly across from Fort Lauderdale about uh, 70 miles out.
0: Okay. Is it an island?
1: It's a Yes.
0: Okay. Cool.
1: But that, that's the migratory pattern for hammerheads uh, in January. Mm. So, but they give you pogos because then they, those sharks, they do tell you just jab them with the stick, but um, mm. you're down there. It's a control. It's not, it's controlled, but it's not, you're not in a cage and you're underwater about two hours. Wow. Um, you just, you know, you do the tank changes and stuff and then, go back down but um yeah i'm i'm way into diving that's
0: my passion stacy you're a very interesting person you've got a lot of things you've done and are still doing i think that's great i think it's great you maintain your mental focus and your health to do stuff like this
1: i love it i absolutely love the water and i diving just i i needed extra credit to be a full-time student when i was 50 and i did one thing of scuba and that was it i just kept getting cert after cert and going more and more and more and yeah that's uh i just i got hooked
0: that's great that's but awesome i
1: better be hooked with all yeah. the dadgy money i've spent on equipment <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that's the key too you know if you have a hobby that requires a lot of resources you better have a job to, to make it happen
1: Oh yeah, Yeah. and it's scuba diving. Actually, it's not that. If you have your own gear, once you've got it all, it might be eighty five bucks to go. oh okay. And what's the fee? You got to pay boat ride. Okay.
0: Yeah. What 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 do you have to pay for once you get your equipment? Say me again. Say again.
1: Eighty five dollars, and that's just that's for the boat. Mm -hmm. The um first, you know the people on deck and your tanks and they take you out and they just drop you in and say, okay, here you are. Here's where we're going, what we're doing and Mm -hmm. down you go. Uh And if you've got your own equipment, your own gear, you don't have to go in and rent a wetsuit. You don't have to rent a regulator and a Mm -hmm. BCD and all that junk you've already got. So you just go, it's not, it's not extra money. You just go jump on a boat, and have a large time.
0: That's great. That's good to know for people who maybe were contemplating the cost and how to do it. Yeah, you just, it's just a one-time thing, and, and then not that bad. All right, no, so that's no. awesome. Now, you, you know, having a job is good to pay for things like that. So let's get back on your job situation when you landed back in Knox Vegas. Um, what did you do? I mean, you had all this experience. Where, where did you start seeking out places to um, apply?
1: I didn't. I went to school. I decided I'm a, I am don't have a job, so I'm going back to school full-time, and that's what I did.
0: Okay. All right. Good. Yeah, I remember earlier in the interview, you said later in life that you jumped back into school. What? Okay, what school did you choose, and how did you formulate your program? What did you want to study?
1: Uh, law. I did a paralegal program. That's what I did. ABA approved, American Bar Association.
0: Okay.
1: And um, I just went with that, got it. Uh, I went to our own state and then did classes, you know, you go UT night school and that kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. um, I just was going to, I just saw this uh, thing on the internet that said BVB was looking for a paralegal with over 10 years experience. And that's I had over ten years and so that's when I ran with it. Oh, yeah. And then I got there and then I was part time and then they asked me, would I go full time even though I was still in school and I said, Yeah, I can make it work. And that's what I did. I said, But I need time off to go diving because I'm doing X, Y, and Z and I've got finals and stuff. And they said, We don't care. You know, if you'll work full time, it's good to go. And that's what I did and that I've been there ever since.
0: That's great. That's a great um, supervisory uh, CEO leadership there, recognizing your talent and experience. And, you know, you just need the sheepskin to put a stamp on it, but you already know everything, probably more than you learned, right, in school.
1: Pretty much the only what I learned in school is because I hate real estate law. So I hate real estate, but I had to learn about it to get through. So I, I did learn a few other things. And mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of corporate law either, but I had to learn about that. So those things I did, but like personal injury and torts and all that, that was a lot of stuff I already knew. So, I mean, it was easy, a super easy. A.
0: Define tort for listeners who don't know what that word means. Tort. What is that?
1: Tort is a harm that's done against you. It's something that's done against you that causes pain of some sort, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain, that kind of thing.
0: Worker's compensation fall into that?
1: No, nah, that's a whole different animal. It's a tort because you get hurt, mm-hmm. but then worker's comp is a whole different thing because you, were, you got hurt when you're on the job. But the actual act of being hurt is a tort, but worker's comp is not per se. Mm-hmm. That's just a procedure, so to speak.
0: Now you've got the degree to back up your experience and you found what seems to be a very comfortable, dreamy type job. You're there now. How long have you been there? Six years. Six years. So something's gone right.
1: Oh, yeah. I love my boss. He's a great guy. Mm -hmm. I had a difficult one the first two and a half years I was there, but um, I love him to death. He's not Mm -hmm. there anymore, but he was was out there and we'd fight and it was hilarious, (laughs) but uh, I learned a lot from him. And the gentleman that I work for now, he's he's fantastic. I can't say enough good things about him. When you say smart, and I'm still learning.
0: When you say we fought or we fight, you don't really mean like slugfest. Define that.
1: Oh no, it's going and chew him out or yell at him and getting a screaming match because he was too lazy to get up and come into the office (laughs) because he was hungover or some crap like that. Oh lord. (laughs) Oh yeah, I say what I think.
0: Mm hmm. Well, yeah, that's good. You know, if I were your boss, uh, I would want you to be honest with me and not hold back something later on that's going to make us all miserable. You know, that's good. I'm sure No, you're... I don't. Yeah. yeah Everybody
1: you're... knows where they stand with me, whether it's mm-hmm. at work or friends or whatever. You can ask anybody who really, really knows me because you don't have to second guess.
0: That's good.
1: That's where good. I, I'm just up front right there is what it is kind of thing.
0: That's, that's good. Honesty in relationships. high school. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm probably worse. Just because I just now, I'm like, I'm too old to care what anybody thinks to me. <laughs> it's just like, uh-uh, life's too short. I ain't got time for
0: that. Okay, so now you're, you're working in your element. You love your job. You love your boss. Things are cool. And somehow the James White Fort is sending off a flare to you. How did you get involved in that?
1: Because I worked uh, on the side volunteer for 10 years with dogwood arts festival i did monte carlos barbecue competitions all that kind of stuff i've done i worked with dogwood for 10 years mm. and the uh when i moved back i bumped into the executive director and the president of james White Fort at a christmas function and they said hey would you ever be interested in uh being on the board for james white and i said sure and i love the guys i worked with and everything and mm. Next thing you know, I was getting an email with an invitation to join the board. I joined the board, and within four months got asked if I would be the vice president.
0: Oh wow, that was quick.
1: yeah, <laughs> so, so so
0: what are your duties as the vice president? What do you do?
1: Just help raise funds uh to preserve uh the original city of Knoxville.
0: The original city of Knoxville where are you talking about like the fort itself? Yes, okay. There's
1: buildings, the actual buildings, the main house, there's kitchen, there's an outhouse, there's a blacksmith shop, there's a guest house, um, there's a a butcher shop, and Mm -hmm. there is also a house that is uh, where they made shoes and textiles, Mm -hmm. and we have all the stuff, the original stuff that was from that. Um, Yeah, we are trying to preserve it, We you know, like last year, Two years ago, when COVID started, it was a great time to do it. We had gotten a twenty-five thousand dollar no- donation from Knox County, and we rebuilt the walls around it because oh, cool. those all that all that locust, which is super hard, it was still in good shape, but the supports weren't. So we had to have everything restructured, and it cost us twenty-five grand. But it was, you know, it was great. We but we raised that. You know, we went. Tim Burchett was. uh, Absolutely wonderful at helping us, and he wrote us a check of excess funds that Knox County had, and gave it to us. And we, we rebuilt uh, the walls around the fort that protected it. Well, yeah, it's the original walls, mm-hmm. but the supports on the inside are not because they were worn out.
0: Right. So you you try to make it preserve the look as well as you know, make it stronger. Oh yeah,
1: we do have to do the chinking from time to time. Some of the board members, some of the guys, do it. Uh, We'll pull up concrete and stuff. And that's
0: not that's uh, not, that, that's not uh, cheap to do because, you're, again, you're, you're it's like a work of art you're trying to help here, not just somebody's backyard. So it's going to exactly. require expertise. And it may even involve somebody who's artistic to preserve the look. So these donations you need and require to keep the original city of Knoxville together, you know, it's exactly. more than just, you know, building a, another fort in somebody's backyard, you know.
1: Yeah, no, it's nothing like that. You know, you've got quilts and stuff that have to be preserved a certain way. You have the tools and utensils that were utilized um, when they were like the blacksmith shop. We've get, we've got it. We've got this kid who is way into that kind of stuff. I call him a kid He's 27, but he will come in and do demonstrations and make things. He made a knife for uh, one gentleman one time. I mean, we, we have um reenactors that'll come in and they'll cook things and they'll do the weaving and stuff. I mean, it's just all of it we keep we are the photographs that are in it, James Whites is in there. We preserve everything. The original beds are in the in the main house. We still have a lot of that as well as hauntings.
0: Okay, so I'm I'm tuning in today to the podcast. I'm really interested in helping your cause and helping preserve this land and the the building how would i write a check or whatever contact you to get a donation to you what's the way to do it
1: go to jameswhitesport.org and on the front page it tells you exactly how to donate you can click on a button and donate
0: all right so
1: james penny, and you can choose what you want it to go to if you want it to go to 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 special events like Mm -hmm. sometimes we have special events people have weddings there Mm -hmm. um or you can choose for it to go to the blacksmith shop or it can be just in the general fund or the beautification board Mm because on the inside we try to keep period time plants but on the outside of the fort we have uh you know we pay landscapers to come in and do it and we've actually got um we are We get a huge break on the landscaping and a lot of the woodwork uh, because um, there are two guys that are friends of a board member, and they come in and they donate their time and do it. like we built 30 benches we all pay you know the board members we all donated the money for the benches to get the wood and a bunch of us we came in there two nights and two weeks and we built 30 solid wood benches and it's because of the donations from people or people's time is where we get to do these things that help preserve it Mm -hmm.
0: yeah there's a lot of moving parts there to keep it operating um
1: there's a whole lot
0: yeah um I'm at the website right now we've now. got
1: electrical work that's got to be upgraded.
0: I'm at the website now seventeen eighty six Knoxville's first home, James White's with an s for dot org mm-hmm. for those interested in donating and checking it out. That's awesome. Um, and it sounds like they got the right person here to be in charge of fundraising. You know all about this stuff
1: we uh I, I i'm always learning therapy like our executive director sam maynard is amazing he's like a walking encyclopedia of it um and they're you know in some of these uh, one of our treasure he is art history he's a banker but he's also an art history major so he knows that you know you're all you're always learning new things about it um I try to uh, know as much as I can, but when I don't, I defer. And we've got a curator who is awesome. He also uh, goes around and does graves for families, mm-hmm. to grave history in different. Um, he goes around to cemeteries and does that kind of thing. So everybody that is involved all has an interest in whether it's the history of Knoxville, the history of the state of Tennessee. It's all, you know, to preserve all the history that's out there because... As we know, things are changing rapidly and, um, you know, you never know when one day somebody's just, they're just going to be done with it all.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm looking on the website, the the website sponsor for the Fort website is Home Trust Bank. Put a plug in for them. And yes. the hours, December through March, 10 to 4, Monday through Friday and April through November, five. Two 205 East Hill Avenue. They're in Knox, Vegas. Knoxville
1: right across the street from the w- women's basketball hall of fame.
0: Yeah. That big, giant, huge basketball hanging out yep. there. Doesn't our it parking
1: say- lot is right across the street from it. And see that's something else we're having to like, right now we're working on funding cause it's going to cost us $53,000 to redo our parking lot.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, and not just painted with that black stuff that smells so bad. You're going to redo it. The whole thing.
1: have to, we've got to meet with a lot of the trees. Um, have rooted under some of it Um, we've got potholes and stuff because of it it's got we have to totally redo it it's got to be filled in and and asphalt it's got to have it all done and it like i said that's fifty three thousand dollars and so we look to donors and that's how we do things like i said we were gonna our big fundraiser is the halloween bash um, mm-hmm. and everybody loves it. we had 400, uh, the year before COVID, but because of COVID last year and this year, we're not going to be able to have it. We do have mm-hmm. the ghost tours though. Mm-hmm. And there are real good, he is a walking tour around Knoxville. And then you come back to the fort and, uh, our curator, Robert tells a story, a ghost story about some of the ghosts in there. We have two, a little girl and Mrs. Kennedy who both died in the main house and, um, Sometimes they come out, sometimes they don't, Uh, but he tells a story and then that we have like hot chocolate and marshmallows by a fire that's built in the courtyard. We have a fire pit, Mm -hmm. you know, and we do like six of them during Halloween and we usually have the bash, you know, at the very end of it. But this year we're just going to do the tours just like last year, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because people are still skeptical. The variants are still out there. Some are vaccinated, some are not. So Mm -hmm. we're still playing it safe.
0: And I noticed you can rent uh, the land area to do special events for yourself, like a wedding maybe?
1: Yes, there's been weddings in the courtyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a family that loves to rent it for Thanksgiving. They have a very large family, and oh, cool. they do their Thanksgiving celebration <laughs> at the fort. They like to kind of really make it real. Yeah, uh,
0: great atmosphere. We're trying,
1: <laughs> our plans are to pos- uh, to work on building a pavilion to on the West lawn so that we can have, you know, do even bigger things and people mm-hmm. can rent it out. And those rents, you know, the monies that come from that all come to preserve the fort, you know, like mm-hmm. right now, like I said, the parking lot and we've got to get our electricity uh, up to code. And so that, mm-hmm. you know, those are not cheap. Those, mm-hmm. those items aren't. So that's where we rely and uh, on the community and mm-hmm. things of that nature and try to get people to help out our cause and preserve it.
0: Now, earlier, I mean, if it weren't earlier before, for for
1: James White Fort, we wouldn't have a city of Knoxville.
0: That's that's true. Your history is so important to maintain, especially for new people, new children that want to learn. Where did all this start? You know, origins and etymology. I love um those two topics. I love to know the Old English Dictionary of words and and it's it's crucial to know from where you started. I think that's wonderful. Um, yeah. Now let me ask you this: We're going to have to start wrapping this thing up here in just a little bit. I'll perfect. Try to keep it around okay. an hour. Um, but like me, I, you have the gift of gab. I think I heard that in a movie once.
1: Um. <laughs> yeah, talk to the walls and talk back. But, but that's good. I
0: like that. You're perfect for to be interviewed for. And and you said that you were you know on television supporting the fort. A couple of interviews. Are, you yeah. Are any of those still on like YouTube? People can go to and, and see those.
1: I don't. I don't know. Um, I really don't because we mm-hmm. do them at different times. Like, let's see, year before last when we had our Halloween bash, I think mm-hmm. I was on channel C eight and channel C W A T E S thirteen on the cable. I don't know what the heck. Mm-hmm. I think six. Uh, I, I I I really don't know because when we do those things, those are their promo plugs, right. and so I don't know that they hang on to promo plugs. Mm-hmm. Plugs. I mean, you know, I don't. I I'm not sure how long the TV stations hang on to that.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and because I mean, it's,
1: you know, because it's for a certain event. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure, you know, how long they keep them or if, okay, that event's over with no need to keep it in the archives because it was just for a party or it's just for this or just, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Right. Right. Okay. Well, cool. Well, people can do their research and find out, go to the website again, James whites with an S fort.org. org be a donor and support our history in knox vegas um it's a beautiful city no longer scruffy i don't think anymore the world's fair they called scruffy little city i think it's kind of um scruffed off all the scruffs over the years
1: well the scruffy city is still down there
0: yeah well every i guess every city has their scruffy parts
1: yeah (laughs) it's the old city though and the old city's starting to boom again so if that's what you want to call the scruffy city yeah um it's not really scruffy
0: All right. Well, look, let's do this. Let's let's get some scruffiness taken care of. I like to end the interview by going back in time and asking you, what were some of your favorites back in the day when you were in school, uh, the 82 era? And let's start with this. What was your favorite movie back then?
1: Oh, God, I don't even know. I can tell you what my favorite activity was, was putting all the chairs on top of the building and getting suspended for it.
0: (laughs) Finally, finally, somebody who was there. Tell me about that. Let's diverge to the the chairs on the roof, because I've been looking for someone who was there. What happened? Tell me what happened. The
1: cheerleaders left the door open and let us in so that we could get in. They propped open the door between the green and red wing. Okay, And so, like, 30 of us all starts. let's see, Karen Daniel, me, Sandy Santel. Uh oh, there, oh my god there were so many there's 30 of us like I yeah. said Jeff James I see Jeff James all the time because his uh, his wife is on my board Um, now, I've that, got Sandy that,
0: queued up to be interviewed soon so I'm going to get her side yeah, of the story I as well so you guys um, you, 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 and how did you get all the chairs up there and then someone told me that you had to take them remember they had down. those
1: rolling bookcases mm-hmm. they always had the rolling bookcases When yeah. the red wing we rolled the bookcases out the door and climbed up and I handed the we would all bring the chairs, and we were using the elevator too. And we would hand the chairs mm-hmm. to a bunch of guys that had gotten on the bookcases and climbed on the roof. Okay, and who were doing it?
0: Fireman's brigade type thing.
1: I think Hobie Carver was part of it. Tom, mm-hmm. I, I can't remember if Tommy. Tommy Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, no, There's there was thirty of us. I don't remember I, who. I, Tom's I w- a lawyer now, so he probably won't say.
0: <laughs> I wish I could have been in on it. I really do. Uh, that would have
1: been. It so fun. was fun. And so, we all got busted the next morning.
0: Oh, the next morning. So they were up overnight?
1: Yes, because Karen and mm-hmm. Sandy Santel got busted by the cops. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they were doing, but they got busted by the cops and ratted everybody out.
0: Oh, Sandy, <laughs> Karen. <laughs>
1: yes, they did.
0: Well, they probably were and, forced by the uh, interrogation process. Tell me who, who, Yeah, who. At
1: 18 years old, you're going to tell who's done it. That course, called my you mom. Know,
0: Fear for your life. Dagley you know.
1: called my mom and goes, She came and woke me up. She goes, You need to get your ass back up at that school. <laughs> and she goes, Dagley just called and you got busted. And I'm like, All right. Oh, and she boy. goes, And I got to get you back in school. So I got to go to school tomorrow and get you out of from mm-hmm. being suspended. Yeah.
0: That's and they probably, said, you No, know, yeah. that's why I- they
1: told us, We know it was a joke, blah, 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 but you could have you done it. And yeah, you know, they, had, harm the integrity of the roof, blah, blah, blah. Oh. You know, and you just listen to him, yip, yip, yip. Parents signed you back in and you went back to class. Mm-hmm. But it was fun.
0: So it, I, I'm probably going to find this out from Sandy. They probably were threatened with suspension if you don't rectify this. And that means get get the team back and get the chairs down. Did you guys have yeah, to remove like, them again?
1: I didn't. Yeah, we did. We all had to go back up there Sunday morning to do it. <laughs> We put uh, Karen uh, went put. Let's have class on the roof today on the marquee of the thing at the front of the
0: to drive to school. Oh, that's funny. That would have been so perfect if it could have stayed till Monday and everyone could have seen it. Oh wow.
1: There's enough pictures of it. Trust me. Just like uh, that marquee Mm. we put. Chuck Chuck Johnson eats Cheetos at 4 (laughs) a.m. Because we went and rolled his yard, me and a bunch of girls. Oh my! I was. It was. our uh, young life, a bunch of girls had a sleepover at Robin Hutchins' house. And we all went and we uh, rolled uh, Chuck Johnson's yard. And we could see in the window, he was sitting there in his underwear eating Cheetos at 4 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. So we went back and put on the marquee, Chuck Johnson eats Cheetos at 4 a.m. It was hilarious.
0: I, okay, so let me ask you this. the uh, After you got busted and everything... You said some people were taking photos, like on these old Kodak cameras, just to preserve the moment.
1: I have no idea. I've just seen photos, and so uh,
0: probably some. If you know who has those, please funnel them my way. I got to get this on the. It
1: might be. It might be Karen. That's somebody you need to talk to. Karen, uh, you know, she was there with God. We had so much fun doing that stuff. Oh, it, was hilarious. it was hilarious but yeah we all did that we all got busted but it was because the cheerleaders susan smith was one of them i still see susan
0: yeah i remember susan i want to get everybody interviewed on this podcast okay i'll get a hold of her
1: um still you know, funny as i'll get out i love her
0: no that's great i'm finally glad to talk to somebody about what happened there because i wasn't able to be a part of it and it, it, was,
1: it was great funny. it was hilarious oh,
0: yeah. i'd love to get the photos um because if you look on the Facebook page, there's a picture of the school, and I kind of made stick stick chairs and put it on top yeah. of the roof.
1: Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> Karen may have Karen may have them, or maybe even Sandy. I don't know. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we'll find out. We'll, it'll it'll divulge eventually. Um, now you say you're planning on coming to the reunion next year in July.
1: Well, I am.
0: That's awesome. Okay, good.
1: Yep. Me so, and Virginia. No.
0: I remember. Jin- yeah, Virginia. Yeah. I don't think I pronounced it Virginia. Yeah, that. Genia. Genia. Um Okay, what were your favorite sports back then?
1: Football and swimming. And obviously I'm a diver, so I still mm-hmm. watch football and I, <laughs> I'm obviously still swimming.
0: Okay, cool, cool, yeah. Um, and then any teachers that really inspired you?
1: Uh. Sue Howard. She taught health occupations. Mm-hmm. I saw John Grease at a political function uh, about a month ago for J.J. Jones. I yeah. saw John Grease and I went, I had you for economics. And he goes, what?
0: <laughs> and
1: I said, you don't recognize me? And then I told him who I was. He's like, oh, my gosh.
0: Wow. Is he tilting? He's till- real till-
1: sick. No, nope, realtor.
0: Yeah. All right. And then uh, your hangout spots that you used to have fun at?
1: When uh when I um, well, I was always at Flanagan's, which was illegal, but I got in <laughs> all the time. Um, Horizons, which was illegal, but I got in all the time. You know, and then some cruising around Gaddy's and stuff. But <clears throat> I was a little defiant thing, so <laughs> I was usually at a bar. Yeah, I always, I, or I go to the last lap or the library. I was always hanging down out, out down on campus. Mm-hmm. If I wasn't at Flanagan's or Confetti's or trivia or whatever the heck it was, Lord Lindsay's a lot. Lord Lindsay's and Michaels. You know, yeah. I was I was at dance places all the time, and because I had a fake ID, I got in. <laughs>
0: and then you ended up in the in the legal field so i guess you know it, it gave yeah. you some kind of experience as to what it's like to be uh against the law and then now you're you're helping the law get straightened out
1: i know how's that for an oxymoron <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that's great i you know you've been a wonderful interview stacy i will be editing this so give me give me a few days to get <laughs> it right thank you for again for tuning in today everybody and listening to stacy Dagenhart here today on the big blue podcast stacy've been wonderful Thanks again. And give us, give us some final words of wisdom. Sum up the last 40 years in one statement. What's, what's the word of the wisdom?
1: Don't change anything. I wouldn't change anything about the way I grew up, the way I turned out. It's all good.
0: It's all good. I like that. All right. Awesome. Thank you again, Stacey. Have a wonderful rest of the day.
1: Yes, sir. And thank you for contacting me.
0: Thanks for joining us today to the Big Blue Podcast for Farragut High School. If you're interested in becoming an interviewee, please send correspondence to the following email address, also listed in the show notes. Send all correspondence to FHSBigBlue1982 at gmail.com. Again, that's FHSBigBlue1982 at gmail.com.